0: For Another edition of Fighting for the Faith January Monday, January 17th, 2011 Many of you are enjoying the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday I'm not I haven't been And it's not because I don't want to It's just, you know I gotta do the work So I'm here. I'm in the studio. Let's do a show. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Miserable times that we're in miserable, miserable, miserable times that we're in. And and the reason why it's so miserable, well, it's because there's so many pastors and teachers who are winging it needlessly regarding what they're preaching. And as a result of it, there's just all kinds of confusion out there about what Christianity is, what the Bible teaches, what God expects of us, what God has done for us. And uh, all of this is just so needless. Why? Well, because God has revealed all this stuff in his word already. And, uh, well, people don't seem to be paying too much attention to what he's written. <laughs> like, yeah, no, no, no. God, you stay out of this discussion. We're not interested in your opinions. We've we've got our own theories and speculations over here about what you're all about. And please stop bothering us with your information about yourself. We've got our own ideas. Seems like that's what's going on nowadays. So, all right. So today is uh, the Martin Luther uh, King Jr. holiday here in the United States of America. It's uh, basically a, it's a federal holiday. Schools are out. Uh, banks are closed. Uh, the The post office isn't doing its thing. And, uh, and uh, for those of you who've enjoyed the day off, yeah, blessings to you. Uh, I haven't been enjoying the day off. I've been actually working. But uh, today's program is a little bit different. It's not a Friday light. It's not a Monday light. It's not a light program at all. But what I really wanted to do was spend the first hour uh, kind of digging in depth into um, into a particular topic. And the, the topic was occasioned uh, by an email that I received. And uh, maybe I should do this, you know, because... Uh, when I receive an email, I like to uh, whip up the uh, vintage news, uh, not vintage news, but about my email music here. See, that's our email music. That's what you guys sound like when you're typing your emails. I know it. It's just, you know, Pastor Charmley, when he writes, this is what it sounds like for him and, you know. Anyway, I got an email from a gentleman by the name of Tyler, and it's it's a good email. And the reason why is because it asks kind of that the, one of the basic questions about the program, which I think from time to time it's important for me to put some programs together that deal with specific uh, topics. Anyway, uh, Tyler is apparently from Iowa, and here's what he writes. He he uh, sent me a message on Facebook. He says, "Chris." Uh, The the discussion started uh, by the Rick Warren Post brings up a question that I've been meaning to ask you. I, I really like Fighting for the Faith. But you've got this beef against all things law, and I'm and I'm wondering why. Granted, we aren't saved by the law, or trying to live a, uh, or saved by trying to live a Christian life. But there's there's no shortage of places in the Bible instructing us on how we're to live once we're saved. There is certainly nothing wrong with the law and expecting people to live by it. So, what role uh, do works? That, Play then. Uh, works don't save us. They're, they're not. They're they're a fruit. Nothing wrong with fruit, is there? In fact, if there's no fruit, then the tree isn't worth much, right? You know, I've been listening to your show for a bit now, and I, and I feel like I'm just trying to figure out where you're coming from here uh, when you uh, rip guys for talking law in their sermons. Thanks, Tyler. You see, this 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 is a great kind of email, and the reason why this is a good email is because it it, it affords me an opportunity to do a little bit more in depth teaching. By the way, Tyler, uh, God's law is perfect and good. I you know I have no problem with pastors uh, who preach God's law lawfully the the way God's word tells us to preach the law, many so many times. If and by the way, if you listen to the program, I use the law constantly on this program. I'm constantly saying that's a sin. Somebody needs to repent of that. They need to be forgiven of this. Or, or this is a sin that and those of you doing it need to repent and be forgiven. Yeah, over and again, I'm constantly preaching. <clears throat> Kind of a weird way of putting it. This is radio. This isn't a pulpit. Uh, But I'm constantly saying it's all about repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. So, I mean, uh, the astute listener to Fighting for the Faith would say, Yeah, well, Chris uses the law all the time, and I do. So the question really comes down to, uh, Tyler, it's not a matter of, is there anything wrong with the law? No, there isn't. In fact, pastors are called to preach law. And gospel, sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and they're to do it in such a way that they're not convoluting these uh, those two categories. And uh, what I'm going to recommend, I'm going to do a little bit of teaching work in here, and um, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to do this backwards. This is going to seem kind of silly, but I'm going to do it backwards and um it, it, don't ask me why it's just this is the way i'm going to do it today a lot of many times i think the right way to do things is you start in the biblical text and you flesh things out and uh and then and in this particular case what i'm going to do well do i really want to do it this way see see now i'm second guessing myself i'm thinking do i really want to go backwards on this because i could go forwards hmm you know, I'm not going to do this backwards. I am going to actually do this forward. So here's the deal, Tyler. Absolutely, there's nothing wrong with preaching the law. The issue is the importance of preaching God's law lawfully. And uh, and so the idea is you preach God's law and all of its sternness, and you preach the gospel in all of its sweetness. But we're going to get to that in a little bit. So for today's edition of Fighting for the Faith... Uh, you're, you'll need a couple of things. Well, you, you, you need your Bible. That's first and foremost. We're going to start in the biblical text, and I'm going to take some time to kind of flesh out how the Bible tells us to properly handle law and gospel. Then I'm going to uh, read a, a synopsis of some of the theses of the book, uh, uh, you know, the series of lectures given by C.F.W. Walther that are, are in the book entitled Long Gospel, How to Read and Apply the Bible, okay? And uh, I'm, I'm not going to read entire sections, but what I'm going to read is maybe the first 10 or 11 theses of, that is uh, Walther has written on this, because I think uh, what he's doing here is in accord with what the scriptures reveal as to how to properly handle law and gospel. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to be reading from a section from uh, Luther's small called articles where that deal with uh, uh, basically original sin, repentance, uh, uh, original sin and repentance so that you you know you kind of see how this played out in the life of Luther. And uh, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a miserably bad sermon that mixes all of this stuff up and, and messes up the categories, and as a result of it, uh, there's no clear understanding of what the person listening to it is supposed to do, either in regards to God or wh- whatever. And that's going to be the sermon that was just preached yesterday over at North Point Church in uh, Springfield, Missouri, uh, the first in their sermon series on the whoopee cushion life and um i think that's this this is the sermon about pulling my finger and i got to warn y'all ahead of time uh the subject matter of that sermon um it deals uh rather explicitly with um the issue of sex and pornography and as a result of it is it may not be um appropriate for little ears and so i i'm warning you now so that uh if you're listening to the live stream, you can you know appropriately. I'll, I'll remind you all when we get to the sermon review time about that. But yeah, the name of the sermon is pull my finger. So the idea here is that Tyler, I want to basically take the program to answer the question and to do it biblically to give you some examples that I think theologic, you know, from the writings of others that are in accord with with what the scripture teaches on this, and then demonstrate how these categories are misused um you know through a bad sermon review so this basically tyler the, 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 the sp- best way i can put it is is that i'm going to basically take the whole program to answer your uh, email i mean that's probably the best way to put it so it, and i think from time to time it's important that i do that now if you have your bible flip on over to romans uh, chapter 3 romans chapter 3 the bible actually instructs us as to how to properly interpret the scriptures and how to properly understand the categories of God's law and the gospel. Now, when when I'm talking about the law, okay? And this kind of comes to a point earlier, Tyler, is 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 that um when I'm talking about the law, I'm actually referring to a very specific thing. Okay. I am referring to uh, the Ten Commandments you can find in Exodus chapter uh, 20. Um, I you can say I'm uh, I'm referring to all of the uh the moral law contained in all of the scripture that is summarized as love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself or you could say that you know that, that that's the the right way of looking at it. uh so uh and so when I'm talking about God's law you know I'm not talking about oh, Go and uh, and and stop eating Twinkies and make sure that you don't smoke cigarettes. You see, here's the deal. One of the major problems, over and again, when you're listening to a sermon review here at Fighting for the Faith, and I and I stop the person who's uh, droning on, and I go law law law. Many times, I'm you know I, what they're preaching isn't actually found in the biblical law. It's more like what they're preaching against, you know, or that they're that they're doing, is basically you have to understand they're saying you can make yourself pleasing to God if you stop doing X, Y, or Z, and X, Y, or Z generally falls into the categories of living the successful American suburbanite uh, middle class life. So. Uh, you know, they're preaching generally to the this idea that, you know, it, God really wants you to have your best life now, and the way you achieve your best life now is you get your finances in order, you make sure that things are okay at home with the spouse, that you're not an exasperating parent um that uh, you know things are spicy in the bed uh, bedroom area uh, you know things and so what happens is is that even the law that they give uh, you could you could probably make the case that there's some biblical merit to it but what's really devoid there is is a proper preaching of the law and what God's word says the purpose of the law is and uh, as a result of it it's, it's it, it they, they they've defanged God's law and uh, you have this yappy toothless chihuahua sitting there you know at your feet you know going yip 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 and you and you want to punt the thing um rather you know, whereas the biblical law it, it's uh, it, it's a dog that'll tear your face off and you, that, and that's the way the pastors are supposed to preach but well, i'm getting a little bit ahead of myself Okay, so God's word tells us how to properly handle uh, handle the 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 distinctions of law and gospel. And by the way, what I mean when I'm referring to the gospel, I'm referring to the proclamation of the good news that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures; that He was buried on the third day, uh, buried, and then on the third day was raised again according to the scriptures it's the announcement of what christ has done for us in conquering sin death and the devil for us for our place for our justification and for our salvation um so you you you're doing uh, you're you're preaching the gospel wrong when you turn the gospel into something that you do you, you you don't do the gospel you don't live it you don't no that that's ridiculous you proclaim it it's good news Okay, so those kind of the, those are the general categories we're dealing in, but let's let's put some let's put some meat on those bones so that you understand what we're dealing with here. Okay, Romans chapter three, we'll start at verse nine, and this is kind of the tail end. This is kind of like Paul's big punch. Paul begins this argument in Romans chapter one, uh, talking about how people suppress the truth and unrighteousness, and God turns them over to all kinds of evil. And uh, and you know talking about them pagan Gentiles out there, and then he turns this the whole thing on its head by going after religious Jews. And at the and here's the the punchline at the end of this is that at the end of it at the end of what Paul's doing here, and we're catching him at the tail end, his concluding thoughts: No one is declared righteous before God by the law. Okay, the purpose of the law, in fact, God's law was given for a completely different purpose. Here we go. Romans 3 9. So what then? Are are we Jews any better off? Well, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greeks, all of them are under sin. As it is written none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Pausing right here for a second, and I will continue. Here's the idea. Okay, over and again, when I go against the law preachers and go law, 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 one of the things that happened is is that the gospel or and Jesus Christ is either so poorly mentioned or only fragmentarily mentioned or not mentioned at all. Uh, that what happens is is that the preaching of the law is done in such a way that um, it creates the illusion that somehow our good works are meritorious either in our justification or in our sanctification and our good works are not meritorious either in justification or sanctification they don't merit anything especially in the justification category so what happens is is over and again what happens is is in the name of quote you know preaching uh this idea that uh you know that it, it that um god wants us to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word perfectly sound biblical teaching there by the way what ends up happening is is that you is that the preaching steers so far over to application in life that uh Christ there's no context for Christ and the gospel, except for the schlub who first made a decision for Jesus, that just gets you in the in the door. And what happens is is that over and again, the big error that's done in these evangelical churches is, is uh, well we we already know the gospel. We know the gospel. Now we got to get busy to to you know you know being doers of the word. Yet the problem here, the problem with that approach is that it, it it doesn't take this clear teaching into consideration, that through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's the primary use of the law, and so the idea there is is that the gospel either gets assumed or shoved to the back, and the law is got, brought forward, and it's the 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 preaching of the law is done in such a way that. Uh, that somehow it merits something with God. If you do these things, X, Y, or Z, then God will see that you are serious about your relationship or walk with him, and then he will then bless you with X, Y, or Z. It could be uh it could be health, it could be wealth, it could be notoriety, it could be this, or it could be that, so what happens is is that the preaching of the law is done in such a way that you are being obedient in order to merit something from God, and this creates all kinds of confusion because here's the deal is is that that's not that's not a proper preaching of the law that's in fact um a damnable preaching of the law. So when I say law, law, law over and again, this is the, what I'm trying to get at is that the primary purpose of the law is to show us our sin. And so when somebody's preaching the law, even a watered down version of it, they are actually condemning their hearers and themselves because they don't keep it. So here we learn from God's word. That for by works of the law no human being will be justified in God's sight, but through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Romans three twenty. That's the primary function of God's law, is to expose our sinfulness before God. But now we continue. Uh, Romans chapter three verse twenty one. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law you could say apart from life application apart from sanctification apart from good works okay but now the righteousness of god has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets they bear witness to it This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So let me point something else out here. Over and again, when I'm saying la, 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 all I'm hearing from those pastors and what I'm reacting to when I say that is, all I'm hearing is, oh, you need to do this, you need to do that. Yet, the Scriptures teach the righteousness of God that comes by faith, that is believed to, believed on, received, and clung on to by faith. They're not preaching faith. And as a result of it, faith gets shoved to the background or is so little understood, it's, and it's such an obscure teaching, that they're not actually teaching true biblical repentance and faith in Christ. We continue. Romans 3.27. So then what becomes of our boasting? Well, it's excluded. By what kind of, by what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? He's He is not the God of the Gentiles also. Yes, the Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? No, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Now, here's the other part of it. You cannot teach, properly teach, what it means to uphold God's law without properly teaching faith, and without properly teaching, uh, teaching it in light of our justification. The one who preaches the law without preaching the gospel correctly, without preaching repentance and faith correctly, they're not teaching you how to obey the law. In fact, all they're doing is condemning you because the law can—preaching the the law doesn't give you the power to do it, and you can't, okay? So we continue. Do we overthrow the law by this faith? Well, By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So what shall we say was gained by um, Abraham, our forefather, um, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was declared righteous by works, well, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Say Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him or credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but they're counted as his due or payment. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteous, a part from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? It was not after At before he was circumcised, for the promise that his offspring uh, that his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith for if it if the adherents of the law who are, are are the are those to be heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression Now did you catch that part, the law. Brings wrath. Over and again in these sermons where I go, Law, 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 and I say that these people are preaching condemnation, this is exactly what I'm referring to. Romans chapter 4, verse 14. The Law brings wrath. You have to understand that when somebody is preaching law, application, or sanctification without properly understanding that the Law condemns every listener, Christian and non-Christian alike, and then they don't follow it up with the gospel and don't properly preach the gospel, what they're doing is they're actually preaching wrath. They're preaching sanctification apart from Christ. They're preaching sanctification by your own efforts and and all that kind of stuff, and that's ridiculous, because what's missing? Christ and faith. Christ and repentance and the forgiveness of sins. All of that is missing, and Christians don't get to graduate from repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And if you don't understand that the law brings wrath, and you think that people can obey it by simply applying themselves to it, then you're you're, you're preaching a pipe dream. You're preaching something that isn't biblical, okay? And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul confronted at the churches in Galatia. When Paul had planted the churches there, he preached the gospel to them, and they received the gospel, and they trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And then afterwards, what happened is is that a group of Judaizers came into the Christian churches there in Galatia, and they told the people there that, listen, Paul didn't tell you the whole thing. If you know you, you got to be you, you know you got to be not just hearers of the word you got to be doers of the word and that means you you men here in the congregation yeah if you're truly a christian then you need to be circumcised because if you don't get circumcised then you're just a mere hearer of the word and not a doer and uh, and you're not really then a christian okay that was what was going on there at the churches in galatia And when I come back, we're going to spend a little bit of time in the book of Galatians looking at how the Apostle Paul wrestled with and refuted the errors of the Galatian churches who were mixing works and grace, which is one of the major things that's going wrong in the sermons that we review here at Fighting for the Faith. But we're going to take a moment, we're going to pay some bills. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Python's Flying Circus Church.
1: Let's face it. It's a visual age, and the old Bible is impractical and irrelevant. But that shouldn't hamper your spiritual growth. If you're tired of all those words like atonement, sin, justification, and all that deep stuff about God, look no further. Announcing the Massage, a new Bible version that puts you and your personal needs central. Written in a style familiar to readers of the National Enquirer, The Massage concentrates on making you feel good rather than filling your head with all those doctrines that clutter the older Bibles and disrupt unity. So if you've lost that loving feeling, pick up your
0: copy of The Massage today. It's available at your local Jesus and Me stores and at airport terminals worldwide. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo airs already low prices. Visit Pirate Christian dot com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code and then click on the banner and then book your travel today. Again, that's Pirate Christian dot com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Morning, pastors who mix law and gospel and don't properly distinguish between the two of them risk sending themselves and their hearers to hell this is true need to remind you all fighting for the faith is listener support radio that means we depend upon you your generous gifts your financial contributions in order to continue bringing this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you uh, get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, what you're doing is signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 on a monthly basis to uh, Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's not a lot of money uh, for you, and that's kind of the idea is is that we... uh, in order to level out our giving we thought it'd be best to uh convince you all a, a lot of you all to support us nominally yeah, that's the idea a, a bunch of people supporting us a little bit every month makes it so that uh, it, it evens out the amount of money that comes in on a monthly basis uh, so that we can properly budget for uh, all of the expenses that come in month after month after month after month, and as we continue to grow and our audience grows and our licensing fees grow and our broadcasting fees continue to grow and our server fees continue to grow. Uh, we found that uh, these the steady six dollars ninety five cents as as our audience grows the, the, we get more people who join that and ho- and it, it's at the moment it's keeping pace, which is nice. <laughs> We're paying our bills. That's the important part. Uh, but uh, if you don't already support us financially, then do so. Uh, of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, there's two ways you can do it. You can go uh, online, click on the Donate button, or you can do it the traditional way. That's th- This is a way that still works. Uh, you get out your checkbook, and you make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith, and you send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46. All right, what we're doing right now is I'm spending a little bit of time talking about the proper distinction of law and gospel so that you understand. Uh, you know, I'm answering a, a listener email. What's my beef about the law preachers? Um, what the, Or when I go law, law, law. The problem is, is that they're preaching the law Apart from Christ. They're preaching the law apart from repentance and the forgiveness of sins. They're preaching the law in such a way that it makes it look like our uh, good works are meritorious before God, that our keeping of the law is meritorious before Him. If you tithe properly, then God's going to. Financially bless you and give you perfect health and wealth, or you can have the abundant life only if you're obedient. So what happens is is that the uh, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, which are offered to Christians for free through through you know uh, uh, literally for free, uh, they are preached in such a way that uh, you can only get them if you um, if you do X, Y, or Z. And this is exactly what uh, the Apostle Paul preached against. Uh, in the Galatian heresy, okay, and let me let me read here uh, from uh, Paul's uh, uh, epistle to the Galatians. I'll I'll read a, a few chapters here. I, I won't read the whole thing, but I would recommend going back and rereading the whole thing uh, if you haven't done so recently. Uh, Paul, an apostle not from God. This is Je- Galatians chapter one verse one. Uh, not from uh, men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, Jesus, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed or eternally condemned. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be eternally condemned. For am I now seeking the approval of man or God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ." "...for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that I preached, uh, that, that was preached by me, is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ." "'Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, "'but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. "'Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas "'and remained with him for fifteen days. "'But I saw none of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother, "'in what I am writing to you before God, I did not lie. "'Then I went to the other regions of uh, Syria and Cilicia, and I was still un, uh, still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential that the gospel uh, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or I had not run in vain but even Titus who was with me was not forced to be circumcised though he was a Greek. Now why is all of this important? Okay? Because the Judaizers were basically mixing law and gospel. They were mixing them in such a way that they were basically making the claim that you're not truly a Christian, you're not truly repentant, you're not truly a follower of Jesus Christ if you're a man and you haven't had the clip-clip procedure done to you. Okay? But Paul here at this point is saying that this is a different gospel that they're preaching. By mixing law and gospel the way they had... now. the Judaizer would say, no, 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 listen, we believe Jesus died for our sins. We believe that. We believe that he physically rose again from the grave. The Judaizer would have no problem saying, no, no, we believe that Christ died for our sins. We believe in salvation by grace. We believe, you know, they they would agree to all of that. But what they don't agree to is salvation by grace alone through faith alone. By Christ's work alone. What happens is, is that they've mixed law and gospel in such a way that Christ's death isn't sufficient. What he's done for us is not enough. There's something you've got to add to that, and that's the clip-clip-snip-snip snip procedure if you're a guy. In, a, in the same way, these purpose driven seeker driven pastors who talk about oh well, God wants you to have the abundant life, but you see he his hands are tied yeah he he you can't you yeah, know he wants you he, he wants you to have it, but see, you can't have it because um well you you're just not obedient enough, you haven't applied these principles you haven't uh you or know, whatever you don't tithe you don't you know You see, you can't have it unless you you know what what they're doing is is that they're taking the focus repentance, Christ, the forgiveness of sins, and the cross all get shoved into the back of the bus and then out actually out the back window, and as the church continues barreling down the highway, uh you know sitting basically putting everybody on the rat wheel of works righteousness. Good works are preached in such a way that they're meritorious and that the, what they merit you know they you merit the uh the abundant life you merit prosperity you merit health you merit wealth you merit uh you merit a smoking hot babe of a wife with a really cool uh, you know with you know with a really healthy sex life all, all all what happens is is that all of the things that Christians have as a fruit of the holy spirit as a gift they're preached in such a way that there are strings attached to them. That's why I go, law, 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 if you do this, if you do that, if you... Because this, the preaching of the law is done as if it's meritorious. Now, here's the deal. I have no problem affirming this biblical truth, that good works are necessary for Christians. Okay. I can say amen with with the apostle James who says that just as the body that is not breathing is dead so faith without works is dead. That statement is not saying that your your works merit anything. What that is saying is is that You know, it's it's the opposite end of Paul and what he wrote in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were once dead in trespasses and sins. By nature, human beings are dead in trespasses and sins, and God makes them alive. He regenerates them. They're born again through the preaching of the gospel. And somebody who has been regenerated, who has been brought from death to life, who has been born again— they can't but do good works. That is the reason why Christians do good works is because they have a new nature, not because they're trying to merit something from God, whether it's the abundant life, salvation, or, uh, or whatever. You know, if, if the reason why you're doing works is so that you can merit something from God, that, those are not works that are done in faith. Those are not works that are done as a result of a new nature in Christ. Those are good works done as a wage. They're done basically as a worker expecting a wage. If I do X, Y or Z, then God will give me the abundant Christian life. Then what happens is the abundant Christian life becomes the wage and the good works that are you know that you do are done as in expectation of a reward that you earn and your good works become meritorious that's the problem but biblical christianity the reason why you do good good works is cuz you're a new creation in christ cows moo dogs bark christians do good works that's one of the reasons why, when you look at the parable, the you know the judgment parable in Matthew twenty-five of the of the sheep and the goats, Jesus says to the sheep, "Come, you who are blessed of my Father. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you came to visit me." And the sheep went, hey, "What? We? Huh? We did? When did we do? What? Okay. The reason why." Is because sheep do sheepy things by nature. It's true. Goats do goatish things by nature, and so yeah. The, and remember, the, the the separation occurs in that judgment, the parable, the judgment of the sheep and the goats by the species. If you are a goat, you're over there. If you're a sheep, you're over here. The judgment already took place. The judgment takes place based on species. So over and again, when I go law, 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 what's happening is, is that that person is preaching law not to condemn us of our sins, but they're preaching law in such a way that it becomes some kind of a formula where God, at the end of the day, owes you a wage. And usually the wage is a happier life, self-actualization, uh better relationships, yeah, you know, all of that stuff. So your sanctification merits you a happier life. That's the problem. It doesn't. Now let me continue. So the point I was making here from Galatians or that Paul was making is, is that that uh if if you know your works are necessary for your salvation, namely circumcision, then how come Timothy when he went to go visit the uh, other apostles in Jerusalem, wasn't even compelled to be circumcised when they uh, went and saw the other um, apostles. That was, It was Titus, uh, yeah, verse 3. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy our freedom that we have in Christ so that they might bring us into slavery— "'To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment.'" Notice the defiance against the false brothers. "'So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you, and from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential, they added nothing to me, to the gospel that he preached, that he laid out before him. "'On the contrary.'" "...when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised... "...worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that the the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship, and to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch—this is Peter— When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For certain men came from James. He was before they came. He was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Well, certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. Listen to that sentence. Verse 21, Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Now, this is an important statement that Paul's making here, and in context, it's It's wonderful. Paul here is making a point I do not nullify what? The law of God? No. I do not nullify the grace of God. Over and again, Tyler in my in my sermon reviews when I'm going law, 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 what the pastor is doing is nullifying the grace of God and making it sound like righteousness is attained through keeping the law. It's not and they don't do it, and therefore they're not righteous. Which is one of the reasons why I ask always, that my always one of my favorite clarifying questions is how's that working out for you? To the pastor who's preaching law and law and lots and lots and lots of more law and preaching as if it's meritorious, when they're doing that, they're making it sound like that we are made righteous before God by our cleaning ourselves up. But Paul here says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no reason. If righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no reason. In other words, the reason why Christians do good works is because they are already made righteous in Christ. And the good works flow from that righteousness, that new life, that regenerated life in Christ. So Paul continues, "O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Okay, let me put it in a different way. Okay, I could say something like this. Oh, foolish Saddleback Church, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you this. Did you receive the abundant life by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Same things applying here. You see what's going on? The names have changed. The, 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 the error is the same. Okay, or I could say, <clears throat> Oh foolish New Springers, who has bewitched you, Perry Noble? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you this. Did you receive the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc., by works of the law, or did you receive him by hearing with faith? Now, is this helping you? Paul continues. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to be perfected by the flesh? Notice here, Paul is talking in terms of sanctification. Okay, Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Over and again, when you hear preachers who push the gospel to the back of the bus, and then goes out the window and falls to the ground, you know, in, and the bus drives off, okay? The The Spirit, the gospel, Jesus and Him crucified for our sins, that's just the beginning. The rest is up to you and your efforts. You can't be blessed by God unless you do X, Y, and Z. That's... The righteousness of the law, that's not the righteousness of God that comes by faith. That's the exact opposite of it. What they're doing is is they're engaging in a form of the Galatian heresy. And that's why I say, law, law, law. So Paul asks the questions. The question, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The answer to the question is the Spirit does these things and works miracles, provides them with the fruit of the Spirit and all that kind of stuff, not by works of the law, but by their hearing with faith. That being the case, that's the thing that's missing over and again from these secret these, uh, driven pastors is their teaching that the Spirit works and blesses them and does things for them by their works of the law and not their hearing by faith. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So here's the idea. Abraham believed God and it was accredited. It was counted to him as righteousness. If by believing and trusting in the promises of the gospel that Christ died for our sins and was raised again on the third day for our justification, if that is, if that's, what God credits to us as righteousness, giving us the righteousness of God, the diakasune to theou, the righteousness of God, or you could say the righteousness of Christ, it's given to us as a gift. How is it possible that my puny good works done here on this side of the resurrection in Christ's return could merit me anything when I... By faith, I'm already declared to be perfectly righteous because of what Christ has done. You see, that's the thing. Over and again, when I say law, 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 what am I hearing? I'm hearing them preaching self-righteousness, not the righteousness of God that comes by faith. And it's in reality, it's the righteousness of God and hearing with faith that God uses, the Holy Spirit uses, to produce fruit in our life that is in keeping with repentance and the forgiveness of sins. The other one, all it does is condemn. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would declare righteous or justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying in you shall all nations be blessed so then who are of faith those so, sorry so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do all things written in the book of the law and continue to do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Notice it says, the righteous shall live by faith. It doesn't say the righteous shall live by works. It says the righteous shall live by faith, and that faith produces good works. It can't help but do so. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant or contract, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified, or you can say signed. Okay. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, and that one is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, the Mosaic law, which came 430 years after God gave the covenant to Abraham, the Mosaic law came four hundred and thirty years after God gave Abraham his covenant. okay, The law does not annul a covenant that was previously ratified or signed by God so as to make that promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, then it no longer comes by a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So why then the law? What was the purpose of the law? The law was added because of transgressions until the offspring, that is, until Jesus should come when the promise had been made and it was put into place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Now before faith came, we were all held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be declared righteous by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. "...for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is therefore neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, and you are heirs according to the promise." You see what's going on here? Read the rest of Galatians. So when I say law, 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 what they're doing is they're putting us back under the guardian. They're not preaching the obedience that comes through faith in Christ. And it's all done And the guys. Well, we already know that Jesus died for us. I mean, we got to get busy doing good works. So we, we don't want to be just hearers of the word. We want to be doers. You never, ever get to the point of being a doer of God's Word apart from faith in Christ. It's all about faith and trust in Christ, abiding in Christ and preaching Christ. You don't get the abundant life that God offers by works. It's given to you as a gift by grace through faith in Christ. And the abundant life that's promised in John 10.10 is not referring to a healthy and productive middle-class suburbanite Western life. The abundant life may, in fact, involve persecution, suffering, and death, and yet it is all part of the abundant life. All of that's given to us as gift. Now, as promised, I'm going to refer back to a couple of other things that will help you okay there are three books that i strongly recommend for people who want to properly understand law and gospel okay three books and uh i wish i could tell you that uh you know that it's going to be you know that it's a pamphlet and all you need you know it'll only you can read it in a night and you'll get it law and gospel is is are one of these the these sets of categories that it needs to be modeled, it needs to be researched, it needs to be read and studied in multiple, multiple ways. And so, as a result of it, there are th- well, four books, <laughs> four books. Not no, not not three, but four. Now, see, as I'm thinking about it, there's uh, there's uh, there's more books than. Uh, Than than one, there's more books than three. There's four really good books, but I'm going to give them to you kind of in order. Okay, the first is a book entitled "Here I Stand: A Life of Martin Luther" by a gentleman by the name of Roland Bainton. R O L A N D Bainton B A I N T O N. I'm going to put links up to this on uh, this episode of Fighting for the Faith at fightingforthefaith.com. So if you would like to pick up copies of these books, you can. This is a the best biography ever written about Martin Luther, and the one thing I love about this book is, is that it helps you experience the sheer terror that Martin Luther had of his fear of God and living under Roman Catholic monasticism, okay? He was a monk, and so... When you, because Bainton does such a f- masterful job of really, in in, in in it's it reads like a novel. It it, it, it right he writes historical, um, it's nonfiction, but he writes it in such a way that it feels like fiction and it isn't. I, I don't know how to explain it that way. It, it, it's a historical novel. That's the best way I can put it. And it and it, there ain't no nonfiction. And it, it it's well no I'm sorry. There's no fiction and it's all nonfiction. Uh if you haven't read this book you need to you need to get a copy of it and you need to read it. It's fantastic. Second book um um is is the Book of Concord, okay? Um the uh the the Confessions of the Lutheran Church. Specifically though, what I would have you read in there is the Augsburg Confession and the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Read Bainton's book, then read the Augsburg Confession and the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, because you'll understand how where where these things fit historically, especially in uh, in restoring the gospel to the church, and the Apology of the Augsburg Confession on uh, uh, the article on justification. Is probably one of the finest, absolute finest pieces of doctrinal apologetics ever written uh, to support and defend the gospel against the errors of uh, of those who would mix it with works. Okay, it works either for justification or meritorious sanctification. That yeah, it's it's fantastic. So, um, the uh, third book. Is a book written by CFW Walther entitled "Law and Gospel: How to Read and Apply the Bible." Okay, and uh, real quickly here, I'm going to run you through the first few theses, uh, you know, maybe the first half of the theses of this uh, distinguished book that you you really need to read. And you think about, I'm not a Lutheran, I don't care what the the truth that is in these books apply to all of Christendom, whether you are a Lutheran or not. Okay. That's the thing about sound biblical doctrine it applies to all of Christendom it doesn't matter what uh, camp or party that you're a part of this applies to you even if you're a Calvinist. this applies to you even if you're uh, an Armenian yeah you, know, you know it applies to you period so um, with that let me read to you uh, let me I've got my copy here uh, in front of me and uh, let me read to you the theses uh, the, maybe the first 10 or eleven theses number one. Walter, uh, Walter, his theses, the doctrinal contents of all of the Holy Scripture, both the Old and the New Testament, consist of two doctrines that differ fundamentally from each other. These two doctrines are the law and the gospel okay so you know when you look at scripture you if you, you you you've got to understand there's two primary doctrines the law and the gospel and paul was that's what he's fleshing out in uh, the book of galatians thesis number 2 if you wish to be an orthodox teacher that means an orth, a, a teacher of orthodox christianity you must present all the articles of faith in accordance with scripture and you must also rightly distinguish Law and gospel. So, just because you you believe the 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 cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith doesn't mean you're orthodox. You're not orthodox until you properly distinguish between law and gospel. Okay, that's thesis number two. Thesis number three. Uh, thesis number three. To rightly distinguish law and gospel is the most difficult and the highest Christian art, uh, and for theologians in particular. It is taught only by the Holy Spirit in combination with experience. So there you go. That's uh, thesis number three. So uh, Thesis number four. Understanding how to distinguish law and gospel provides wonderful insight for understanding all of the Holy Scripture correctly. In fact, without properly having this knowledge of law and gospel, Scripture is and remains a sealed book. Oh, man. See, this is one of the reasons why, over and again, you know, we we hear such ridiculousness is because the 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 in our sermon reviews the pastors they do not know how to rightly un, you know divide law and gospel, and as a result of it, the Bible remains a completely closed book. I would even say that's true of Rick Warren, particularly that's true of Rick Warren. Thesis number five. The most common way people mingle law and gospel, and and one that is also the easiest to detect because it is so crude, and is prevalent among the papists, that would be Roman Catholics, Socinians, and Rationalists, these people turn Christ into a new kind of Moses, or into a new lawgiver. This transforms the gospel into a doctrine of meritorious works. Furthermore, some people like the papists condemn and anathematize those who teach the gospel in the message of the free grace of God in Christ. So, you know that somebody's doing it wrong when they turn Jesus into a new lawgiver? We experience that constantly in our sermon reviews here at Fighting for the Faith. Thesis number six, you are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the Word of God if you do not preach the law in all of its full sternness and the gospel in all of its full sweetness. Similarly, you do not mingle uh, you do not mingle gospel elements with the law or law elements with the gospel. So you're not distinguishing uh, the, the law and the gospel uh, correctly if you don't preach the law correctly in all of its sternness, in the gospel, in all of its sweetness. Thesis number seven, you are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the word of God if you first preach the gospel and then the law, or first sanctification and then justification, or first faith and then repentance, or first good works and then grace. I mean, this book is just brilliant. Thesis number eight, you are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the Word of God if you preach the law to those who are already in terror on account of their sins or you preach the Gospel to those who are living securely in their sins uh-huh <laughs> yeah, exactly <sighs> so you, you gotta you gotta understand your audience, which requires you to have a pastor <clears throat> you are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the Word of God if you point sinners. Who have been struck down and terrified by the law toward their own prayers and their own struggles with God and tell them that they have to work their way into a state of grace. That is, you do not tell them to keep on praying and struggling until until they would feel that God has received them into grace. Rather, you point them toward the Word and the Sacraments. Uh-huh. Let's see here. That that's nine. And then thesis number 10. You are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the word of God if you preach that dead faith can justify and save in the sight of God while that believer is still living in mortal sins. In the same way, you do not preach that faith justifies and saves those unrepentant people because of the love and renewal it produces in them. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, that's That's one that just is going to hit far too close to home for so many people. Thesis number 10. And then thesis number eleven. I'll read one more, but uh, you, you kind of get the idea here. You are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the Word of God if you only want to comfort those with the gospel who are contrite because they love God. You are also you also need to comfort people with the gospel who are only contrite because they feel they they fear His wrath and His punishment. And I'll talk about that in a second here in uh, uh, Luther's small call, called articles. What one more book before we. Uh, one more book before we uh, go to our break you know, that I want to mention, and that is a book called The Hammer of God. Yeah, that's right. If you don't have a copy of this book, you need to get a copy of it. It's called The Hammer of God, and it also does a fantastic job of distinguishing law and gospel. All right, well, what we're going to do right now is I'm going to take break number two, and uh, when we come back, I'm going to read a little bit from Luther's small call- called articles regarding sin and repentance that I think is conducive to our discussion here before we get into our sermon review. Now, if you would like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is at com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We will be right back.
1: you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
0: This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit PirateChristianRadio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. This is normally our sermon review time. I'm going to take a moment here, and uh, before we do our sermon review, which was selected specifically because of the miserable mixing and confusion of law and gospel... I'm gonna to read to you a portion of Martin Luther's small called articles, which are also found in the Book of Concord, which I think uh, give us a good well look at uh, the proper distinction of long Gospel as it pertains to original sin and uh, true biblical repentance. Um, if you have your copy of the uh, the uh, Book of Concord, you could follow along. I'll be looking at the third part of the small called articles, uh, article uh, number one regarding sin. Uh, um, let me let me read here. Um, Luther begins, he says, We may be able to discuss the following articles with learned and reasonable people or among ourselves. The Pope and his government do not care much about these. Uh, with them, conscience is nothing, and the only thing that matters is money, honors, and power. They, those are everything. Uh-huh. I think that's a, kind of it describes small popes along the way. The thing that matters is money, honor, and power. Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, Luther writes, he says, regarding sin, he says, here we must confess, as Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, that sin originated from one man, that would be historical, literal Adam, and uh, by his disobedience, all people were made sinners, and they became subject to death and to the devil. This is called original, or the chief sin. The fruit of this sin are the evil deeds that are forbidden in the Ten Commandments. These include unbelief, false faith, idolatry, being without fear of God, pride, despair, utter blindness, and in short, not knowing or regarding God, also lying, abusing God's name, not praying, not calling on God, not regarding God's word, being disobedient to parents, murdering, being unchaste, stealing, deceiving, and the such. Now, this hereditary sin is such a deep corruption of the human nature that no reason can understand it. Rather, it must be believed from the revelation of Scripture. Okay? Uh, therefore, it is nothing but error and blindness that the scholastic doctors have taught in regard to this article. And chiefly that uh, since Adam's fall, the natural powers of human beings have remained whole or uncorrupted, and by nature people have a right reason and a good will, as the philosophers teach. Yeah, that's all nonsense. Here's another one: a person has the free the free will to do good and to uh, or not to do evil, and on the other hand, to, to not do good and to do evil. Yeah, no, that's gone. Uh, another one: uh, by natural human powers, a person can observe and keep all of God's law. No. The Bible actually does not teach that by natural human powers that we can observe and keep all of God's commands. Or, here we go, uh, by nature, human powers, a person can uh, love God above all things and love his neighbor as himself. You know, by nature, natural human powers, you can't do such things. Um, Or, here's another error, if a person does as much as is in him, God certainly grants him the grace uh, to do the rest. No, that's synergism. These and many similar ideas have arisen from lack of understanding and ignorance, both about sin and about Christ, which, by the way, is inexcusable in the church. Um, They are truly heathen teachings that we cannot endure. For if such teachings were true, then Christ has died in vain. A human being would have no defect or sin for which he would have died or he would have died only for the body and not for the soul, since the soul is sound and only the body is subject to death. You know, it's more like Gnosticism. Article number two here, the law. The Lutheran Reformation has restored the proper biblical understanding of the chief purpose of the law, and that is to reveal mankind's total corruption because of sin, driving people to seek salvation only in Christ. That's actually the true primary purpose of the law is to drive people to their knees to seek salvation only in Christ. While the law does hold outward sin, that is, gross outbursts of sin in check, in its chief purpose is to lead mankind to realize the damning consequences of original sin. The Roman Church had leaned far too heavily on pagan philosophy in developing its doctrine regarding sin. It had accepted the unscriptural notion that a person could truly keep the law by means of his or her own abilities. This article also summarizes well the three different reactions of sinners to the law. Here we hold that the law was given by God first to restrain sin by threats and the dread of punishment and by the promise and offer of grace and benefit. All of this failed because of, of the evil that sin had worked in humanity. For by the law, some people were made worse sinners, those who are hostile uh, to the law because it forbids what they like to do and commands what they do not like to do. Wherever they can escape punishment, they do more against the law than they did before. Those are the unrestrained and the wicked who will do evil wherever they have the opportunity. The rest become blind and arrogant, as has been said above about the scholastic theologians. They conceive the opinion that they are able to keep the law by their own powers. From this come the hypocrites and the false saints. Now, I'm going to pause right there. I, you know, Here's the deal. You, if you think you can keep the law by your own powers, you do not understand the law at all. Now, this kind of goes back to uh, something I made, uh, I pointed out in a far earlier episode of Fighting for the Faith, back when Rick Warren spoke at the Desiring God conference. I have been to uh, Rick Warren's conferences at uh, at Saddleback Church, I was his guest at the Purpose-Driven Community Conference a few years ago and took notes on Rick Warren's uh, uh, lecture that he gave regarding purpose-driven preaching. Now, listen carefully to what I'm going to read to you from my notes in light of this error that Luther is writing against that, that somehow we can, by our own natural powers, uh, love God with all of our hearts and love our neighbors as ourselves. That's the law. Okay? Rick Warren, he says that he preaches for life change, and here's what he says. One, all behavior is based on a belief. Behind every sin is a lie that I'm believing. Said Warren, it is the deception of Satan's lies that causes us to sin. That is a direct quote. It is the deception of Satan's lies that causes us to sin. So change always starts in the mind. To help people change, we must change their beliefs first. Trying to change people's behavior without changing their beliefs, according to Warren, is a waste of time. So the biblical term for changing your mind is repentance or metanoia, and you don't change people's minds, the applied word of God does. So changing the way I act is the result of the fruit of repentance. The deepest kind of preaching is preaching for repentance. Okay. So the idea here is, according to Warren, the reason why you sin... Is not because you're, you are, you're basically you have a corrupt, sinful nature. No, the reason why you sin is because you're believing a lie of Satan. And so the way you get people to stop sinning is by replacing Satan's lies with the truth. So you're just a victim of, mis, of basically satanic misinformation. Now, does this sound exactly what Luther's preaching against here in the small call, called articles? You better believe that's exactly what he's preaching against. And this is another reason why, in my sermon reviews, I go, law, 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 because— it, it it's this fundamentally flawed idea that basically says that, oh, well, by our own reason and powers, we're capable of, of obeying God's law. And, you know, and all we've got to do is apply the right principles or believe the, uh, the truth and, and replace Satan's lies with uh, the truth. And then we will stop sinning and obey God. Yeah, no, that's not what's going on. As Luther says, uh, the rest become blind and arrogant as has been said above about the scholastic theologian, they, theologians, they conceive the opinion that they are able to keep the law by their own powers. From this come the hypocrites and the false saints. But the chief office or the force of God's law is to reveal original sin with all of its fruits. It shows us how very low our nature has fallen how we have become utterly corrupted. The law must tell us that we have no God and that we do not care for God or that we worship other gods, something we would not have believed before without God's law. And in this way, we become terrified, humbled, depressed. We despair and anxiously want help, but see no escape. We begin uh, we begin to be an enemy of God and to complain and so on, that is what Paul says. The law brings wrath. Sin is increased by the law. The law came in to increase the trespass. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 20. So regarding repentance, the New Testament keeps and urges this office of the law, as St. Paul does when he says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Also, quote, the whole so that the whole world may be held accountable to God, no human being will be justified in his sight through the law and Christ says the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin that's right well you want to know what the Holy Spirit is at work uh, John chapter 16 tells us that the Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin and unbelief now this is God's thunderbolt by the law he God strikes down both obvious sinners and false saints. He declares no one to be in the right, but he drives them all together to terror and to despair. This is the hammer, as Jeremiah says, quote, is not my word like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29. This is not active contrition or manufactured repentance. This is passive contrition. Um... This is true sorrow of heart, suffering, and the sensation of death. This is basically contrition that is worked in you by the hammer of God. This is what true repentance means here. A person needs to hear something like this. You are of no account Whether you are an obvious sinner or saints in your own opinion, you have to become different from what you are now. You have to act differently than you are now acting. Whether you are as great, wise, powerful, and as holy as you can be, there is no one who is godly, not even one. But to this office of the law, the New Testament immediately adds the consoling promise of grace through the gospel. This must be believed, as Christ declares, quote, repent and believe in the gospel, Mark chapter 1, verse 15. That is, become different, act differently, and believe my promise. John the Baptist, who preceded Christ, is called a preacher of repentance, but this is for the forgiveness of sins. That is, John was to accuse all and convict them of being sinners. This is so that they could know what they are before God and acknowledge that they are lost, so that they can then be prepared for the Lord to receive grace and to ex- expect and accept from Him the forgiveness of their sins. This is what Christ Himself says repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in my name to all nations. Luke 24 47. Whenever the law alone exercises its office without the gospel being added there is nothing but death and hell. Uh Tyler, this is exactly the the this is the the concluding point here. Wherever the law alone exercises its office without the gospel being added there is nothing but death and hell and one must despair, as Saul and Judas did. St. Paul says, Through sin, the law kills. See Romans chapter 7, verse 10. On the other hand, the gospel brings consolation and forgiveness. It does so not just in one way, but through the word and the sacraments and the like, as we'll discuss later. As Psalm 130, verse 7 says, Against the dreadful captivity of sin with the Lord is plentiful redemption. So there you have it. That's the idea, is that when I say law, 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 what are they doing? They're preaching the law without the gospel, and as a result of it, they're really just preaching condemnation and despair. They're preaching meritorious sanctification, and the Bible teaches no such nonsense. And how do I know this to be so sure? Because over and again, those guys radically twist God's Word to make it say things that it don't say. And yet what I taught today, I taught through clear passages of Scripture taught in their proper context. All right, it's time for our sermon review here at uh, Fighting for the Faith, which does require me to uh, fire up the sermon review music. Here we go. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's s- sermon oh boy, comes to us via North Point Church in Springfield, Missouri. Yesterday, they uh, launched their Whoopi Cushion Life sermon series, complete with a mailer and a video and the name of this particular sermon is "Pull My Finger." Now they sent this flyer out all over the uh, all over Springfield, Missouri, and peop- inviting people to come to church. Apparently, there's uh, you know this is the way to lure nonbelievers in. You let them know that what they're going to be hearing is basically flatulent humor at church. Oh, that'll just draw them in in droves, don't you think? But then we got this problem. And uh, the problem is that um, if a non believer showed up because they were expecting to hear great flatulence humor because of the whoopee Cushion Sermon Series, and they thought, wouldn't that be clever to go to a church that, where I was going to hear a sermon entitled Pull My Finger, that they were expecting basically humor. But um, they didn't really get humor. In fact, talk about a bait and switch. I mean, they were hit hard with a very heavy and serious topic. And uh, I need to remind you all at this point that uh, Little Ears, are prob- it's probably not appropriate for them to hear this sermon because it's going to be dealing with the topic of sexual immorality and pornography and things of that nature. But before we uh, dive into it, let me kill the music here. Okay. Here is um, <clears throat> th- this is just a little forty-one second audio from a video, you know, teaser, you know, advertising the Whoopi Cushion Life Sermon Series. Here, here we go. This was put out by North Point. I want you to hear this. Oh yeah, nothing like good old flatulence humor. And here's the deal. I mean, this is all designed to draw a big crowd. I mean, because you know those non-believers, they just can't wait to get to church and hear jokes about that. But see if that's what they heard yesterday. I smell something awful. Now
1: nah, you just relax. Can I do that? And it must be you. Wait a minute, you mean you're just gonna pass it off and forget about it? Oh my. I'm the pool.
0: It was me! It's your whole scalp tingle, doesn't it?
1: Unfortunately, yes.
0: All right, so that was the audio from the video uh, teaser basically introducing the Whoopi Cushion Life sermon series, you know, with such great sermon titles as um, <clears throat> uh, He Who sm- uh, Dealt It Smelt It, Come Here and Pull My Finger, and things of that nature. Now, I mean, based on what was sent out to the uh, the unchurched, <clears throat> person in the Springfield community, I think they were expecting something completely different than what they got yesterday, because what they got yesterday was, well, um, a very heavy and serious topic. But I want you to listen carefully, because not only is this a heavy and serious topic, but there's a miserable mixing of law and gospel in such a way that the law isn't preached in all of its vigor, and the gospel is not preached in all of its sweetness. And as a result of it, you get a convoluted mess, and pay close attention to, you know, wh- what gets top billing as far as the solution to the problem that is presented in the sermon. So, if you got little ears, you probably don't want them in the room with you, or you might want to put, you know, earbuds in and listen privately. This is not something you're going to want to broadcast in your home or across the cubicle. I just, I'm just telling you. So, here is Whoopi Cushion Life, uh, the sermon entitled "Pull My Finger."
1: Hey, uh, we want to welcome today our East Sunshine Campus with us. We are so proud of you guys. Last week we had a test launch, and, and that was East Sunshine Campus. But this week...
0: Yeah, what you're hearing is, is they launched a secondary campus. They now, they're now multi-site, and the inaugural sermon is the Pull My Finger Sermon. Lovely.
1: We, we are going public, and you guys are meeting together, and, and this is a vision. This is a dream come true. This is North Point Church. This is one church. This is two locations, and we're so happy for you, and we're so thrilled with you. And, and here's what we want to do at the Norton Road Campus. We want to give you a giant hand of applause, and at the same time, when we do that... We want you guys, because you guys need to celebrate as well, to give yourselves a giant hand of applause as well. So let's do this. We love you guys. So good to have you. East Sunshine Campus, baby. Hey, we're so glad to have
0: you, and thank you all of the hard work. Way to go. Start off a sermon by basically praising yourself. That's just so appropriate. The
1: work that you guys put in to make this dream become a reality, man, this is so great, so great. Hey, uh, listen, we want to start today with with a new series that we're doing that, that we are calling Whoopee Cushion Life, and, and really what we are going to do is we're going to be brutally honest, and, and, and we are going to talk about the smelly truth about the stuff we do or deal with. But just won't admit, you know, those kinds of things. And, and so today, uh, the first talk, we are starting by talking about lust, uh, sex, adultery, pornography.
0: Now, keep the categories that I've been teaching on the entire program up to this point in the front of your mind. Proper distinction of law and gospel. The purpose of the law is to condemn you. You do not, by your own natural powers, have the ability to obey God. You have a sinful and corrupt nature, which explains why you do these types of sins.
1: And, 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 and let me just encourage you, every, everyone, listen, East Sunshine Campus, Norton Road Campus, uh, commit to coming all four weeks to this series. But because the truth is, today, we are just pretty much in the time we have going to open up a can of worms. And uh, we won't
0: have a complete resolve today. But if you look at this, he's going to open up a can of worms, but not have a complete resolve
1: series as a whole, as, as four weeks, I think it can be very helpful and be- very beneficial. For, for instance, uh, week chapter two, or, or yeah, week two, we are talking about the danger of keeping your stuff. And your sin a secret, and just how dangerous that is, so that's next week, and then the following week, week three, we're talking about the danger of judgmental attitudes towards people who are struggling,- struggling, that whole like Pharisee attitude and and then week four, we're talking about finding accountability to keep you on the right track, so so you need
0: so all you need is accountability to keep you on the right track. That's how you overcome sin.
1: all four of these weeks but but let's just get started tonight let's just jump right into this thing i want to give you some statistics and and
0: really notice he doesn't start with the word of god we're starting with statistics
1: this is just facts this is the smelly truth this is just smelly stuff here are some statistics first of all the sex industry worldwide takes in 56 b billion dollars a year now that's a lot of money. There are over 4.2 million known separate and distinct porn websites, with 2,500 brand new sites being added online every week. Sex is the number one search for topic on the internet. In the United States alone, if given the opportunity, 86% of men are likely to click on internet sex sites. Now, now, before you think this is just a guy problem, because you may be thinking, yeah, guys are pervs, man. Well, listen, it's, it's, it's not just a guy problem. About one-third of the people that look at pornography on the internet are women. Now, now before you think, yeah, you know, men and women, it's adults, uh, before you conclude that, uh, listen, this, sadly, also involves kids. 9 out of 10 children between the ages of 8 to 16 with Internet access have viewed pornography on the Internet.
0: Okay, now what, what's driving these statistics? The answer to the question is what the Bible teaches and what I've been talking about. Original sin. That we are by nature corrupt and sinful. And this is a fruit of our sinful nature. Why is there so much of this blatant sexual immorality going on? And, you know, this is just one symptom of it, pornography on the Internet. Why? Because by nature we have a sinful appetite that lusts after, strives after, hungers for this type of stuff. Okay? So when you preach the law properly, then the way law preaching should basically come to us is in all of its rigor, in all of its terrorizing form, basically say, every single one of you hearing my voice, if you have surfed into a porn website and sat there and parked yourself and enjoyed yourself while looking at pornography, you are in egregious sin and you have absolutely violated the law of God and the punishment for this. The one that you deserve is an eternity in hell. And the reason why this has happened is because you are sinful and corrupt. And don't say for me to me for a second that you're going to clean up your act and you're going to somehow make this better. There's nothing that you can do to make this better. Nothing that you can do to placate God's wrath against you having the audacity to defy him and to absolutely rebel against him and what he has commanded you in how to properly behave regarding the gift that he has given us sex i mean you see what i'm saying so in order to properly preach this you have to preach the law in a condemning manner that nails people to the wall and by the way statistically speaking the majority of you hearing me just preach that you just went ouch and you should have
1: The average age of, age of someone's first experience with pornography on the internet is 11 years old, and, and it's getting younger every day. And, and you may be thinking, not my Johnny, but, but listen to this stat. 62% of parents of teenagers are unaware that their children have access objectionable websites. One in five children who use computer chat rooms have been approached over the internet by pedophiles. Now, 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 you may be thinking, well, good thing that we're followers of Christ and we go to church because that stuff can't seep into the walls of the church because we're protected by a steeple. But, but we don't have a steeple, apparently, but because, listen, 47% of Christian families admit that pornography is a problem in their household. And, and this is the number that admit
0: it. Approximately... That That is almost half. That is almost half. Again, what's needed here is the law preached in all of its rigor. Do you think God's going to turn a blind eye to those websites you've been surfing into and just wink at you and go, oh, it's okay, no big deal? No, you've been doing wrong. You have been doing God wrong. You've been doing your spouse wrong. You, you've been doing wrong. This is just flat-out rebellion and sin. See the difference.
1: Fifty percent of married women, and sixty percent of married men will have an affair at some time in their marriage. Statistically,
0: that's going to happen. Oh, and by the way, God did not tell you to divorce your spouse. Yeah, those of you out there, you know who, you know what I'm talking about. You got the hots for that girl down the, you know, the three cubicles down, and she's the only one who understands you. Yeah, no, God did not tell you to leave your wife so that you can be with her. You are just flat out lying to yourself and you're blaspheming God along the way.
1: Two out of three women and three out of four men admit that they have sexual thoughts about people at work. Infidelity is the single most cited cause of divorce in over 150 cultures. Now, 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 Tommy, what are you trying to do? Depress us, freak us out? Why, why are you telling us all of this? Because this is the smelly truth about things we do or deal with, but, but we won't admit it. We don't.
0: Now notice he's giving us facts. Okay. But he, I mean, he's gumming us to death here. He's, I mean, he's giving us facts that deal with the law on some level, but yeah, it's, this is bad. This is terrible, but he's not preaching the law in all of its rigors at all. As a result of it, you know, it, I, I'm a little bit confused as to whether or not this is even a problem or why this is exactly a problem. You know, let's continue.
1: Don't like to admit it. We don't even like to talk about it. Now, now let me, I need to go on the record as uh, saying something. Let me, let me just say this. Let me clear the air and let me say this. Hear me clearly. Sex is good. Okay. It's really good. God created sex. I like sex.
0: <sighs> Thanks for sharing.
1: I like it a lot. I'm actually thinking about it right now, all of a sudden, now that I'm talking about it. Now, 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 now look, look.
0: Again, how is that possible? Because of his own sinful nature. Look, 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 look. Hear me, hear me, hear me.
1: I, I am not advocating repression. I, I believe that, that, that there's so many Christian environments to, to where we don't admit that we have a libido or, or, or a sex drive. And that's so stupid. It's just so stupid. We just need to admit who we are and realize God created us the way we are. But we, in a big way today, need to make healthy choices. And,
0: and- okay, see, Listen, we, in a big way today, need to make healthy choices so is the problem the the reason why people struggle with sexual sins just because they they don't know how to make healthy choices? see that's the problem oh, I see yeah, see if yeah so if you're struggling with sexual sin, it's probably because you just haven't learned how to make healthy choices for your life, so what he's doing here is he's not preaching the law in all of its rigors. As a result of it, the gospel isn't going to make any sense at all. So I have to help him. Yeah, the reason why you're doing this is because you are depraved to the core. Because Jesus himself said, out of the heart, it's out of your heart that evil and adulterous and wicked thoughts have sprung up. And you've acted on those thoughts. It's come out of you. It's from within you. It's not because you just haven't learned how to make healthy choices. It's because your sinful human flesh that has been corrupted as a result of Adam's sin strives after sin and seeks after it. It carouses in broad daylight seeking after some cesspool that it could swim in and, and muck around in and revel in. And this the fact that you do this exposes the fact that you are depraved to the core. How on earth do you think that you are going to survive intact God's coming day of wrath and judgment? How on earth do you think you are going to survive this? Because it's out of your heart that you have done these things, showing that you are not good. You are not okay. You are wicked and sinful to the core, and it's come up and burbled up from within you. You see, that's what he really needs to be doing here, but he's not.
1: And the main goal that I have for this series, and and, and you may as well know it now because I'm going to talk about this during all four weeks of the series. Here's my main goal. The main goal of the series is that we admit the reality of the issues that we deal with in life.
0: Admit the reality of the issues that we deal with in life. Well, he's going to fail miserably because he's not admitting, he's dealing with the authentic reality of this situation. And that is, is that these sins demonstrate that we are by nature fallen and depraved. Raw
1: reality, the truth, the honesty, the authenticity, and then be empowered
0: to make healthy choices. And then, see, if you can just be authentic and come to grips with this realistically, then you'll be equipped and empowered to make healthy choices. Yeah, this is the... False piety of false saints. You cannot on your own will, on your own natural powers, just make healthy choices and just boop. There you go. You just overcome the sin. No big deal. Now I'm making healthy choices. I don't have to worry. I can just X off, you know, uh, sexual immorality. It's no longer It's not even on my radar anymore. I've learned how to make healthy choices. See the problem?
1: Be real, put it on the table, and start making better choices. And I believe that the church needs to speak out on this stuff. I think the church is quiet about these things way too often. And, and, and we need to be honest and we need to get people help that they need. And, and here, here's why I say that about honesty there's not a one of us that is perfect, especially not in, in this area of sexuality. We all struggle. But what I find is I read the Bible, the Bible, especially the New Testament, is, is so honest, so authentic, many times much more honest than the church is today. If you look just at the Apostle Paul, in, in Romans chapter 7, verses 21 to 25, the brutal honesty of him dealing with his own sin nature and going public with it.
0: Okay, now listen to the way he framed Romans chapter 7. This is Paul wrestling with his sin nature. I'm glad that you said those words, but you need to unpack that, pastor. That's your job during preaching time. What does it mean to have a sinful nature? And then he says, and then going public with it. Like, come on. This is So Romans chapter 7, is Paul going public with the fact that he has a sinful nature? Give me a break. Yeah, Paul fits into the category of there's none righteous, no, not one. You know, No one understands, no one seeks God, which he preached from the Psalms in Romans chapter 3. Paul in Romans chapter 7 is describing the normal Christian life where we are simultaneously justified and still have our sinful flesh on this side of Christ's return and the resurrection. So as a result of it, Paul is describing the normal Christian life. He's speaking in present tense and the struggle that Christians have, wrestling with their sinful nature and its desires until they die or Christ returns.
1: I so identify with these verses, and my guess is, especially in this area of sexuality, That as we read these verses, and we are going to read these verses, you will be able to... By the
0: way, uh, it doesn't say what sins Paul was wrestling with. It doesn't say Paul was wrestling with sexual sins.
1: Relate. And and here's what it says. Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 25. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Now, Now, come on. East Sunshine campus nor in campus how many of you have felt that that tension i mean i have i want to do good i want to please god i want him to be happy with me i want to be happy i want to
0: mm-hmm, notice meritorious talk here
1: be with him but evil is right there and and this is the struggle that paul is dealing with and he says for in my inner being i delight in god's law i want to follow god but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. And, and now he will say something that I identify with and I have thought this same thought thousands of times, especially in this area of lust. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And my-
0: no. oh, man. This would be a great place for you to explain how the body of death that is being discussed here in Romans chapter 7 is our sinful nature. And how all the the fact that people commit these sins that they that proves that they have a sinful nature that they're not good, that they're not just that they're not somewhat wounded by sin, but they're totally destroyed and corrupted by it. Let me read. Let me read uh, Romans chapter seven. I'm going to begin at verse twenty one. You know, I'm going to back it up just a little bit, because um, Paul is talking about the law here. Okay, Romans chapter 7 verse 7, and I'm going to read in into 8 just a little bit. What then shall we say that the law is sin? <laughs> By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known what sin is, for I would not have known that it what it was to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me and it's righteous and good. So did that which is good then bring death to me? Well, by no means. It was sin producing death inside of me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond all measure. So notice here, 7.13, makes our sin even more sinful and sinful beyond all measure. Why? The purpose of the law is to show us our sin and to drive us to our knees in utter despair and say, I've got nothing, God. I'm bankrupt. i got nothing. I am utterly depraved. You've changed your mind at that point. You've repented because you no longer see yourself as good. You see yourself correctly for the first time is sinful through and through. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh and sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very things that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that is dwelling within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that is dwelling within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil is close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. And this is only only a Christian can say this. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, that renewed man that that Christ has given us. But I see in my members another law that is waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. O wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Chapter 8. And here's here's the best part about this. In the same breath, Paul then says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened in the flesh could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but we walk according to the Spirit." For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. God. Let me read that again. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That being the case, unless you are raised again and regenerated and born again, you you can try as you might, but you are only fooling yourself if you think that you're actually obeying God's law. It says the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot do so. Those who are in the flesh, cannot please God. You, Christians, however, are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells within you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, are we debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh? For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. See the difference? The difference is huge and Tommy Sparger here is falling woefully short because what little he read from Romans, he hasn't even put it in its proper context. And as a result of it, he's not preaching the full rigors of God's law at this point. And people are not understanding that the reason why they're committing these sins is because they are by nature corrupt. They are by nature. Their flesh has been sold under sin. They don't get
1: it. My guess is so many of you have felt the same thing. Listen, I want to be better, but it feels like I can't. What a wretched man that I am. Who can rescue me from this body of death? But, but here's what's so cool. Paul has the answer. Next verse. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord.
0: And, and you can... Now, before you get excited, what does that mean, Tommy? <clears throat> Just, I'm going to ask the question and see if he answers it. Okay, so Paul gives the answer as, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Dot, dot, dot. Um, Tommy, what does that mean? You can almost
1: just feel the tension. You can so relate to what Paul is going through. You, you can feel him screaming this. We've all felt this. We, we, we identify. You can feel him saying, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I've tried everything. I'm, I'm at the end of my rope. Is there anyone, is there anything that can help me with this nature that is inside of me that is self destructive?
0: Okay, good. Nature that's inside of me that's self destructive. A little vague. You're getting warmer that sabotages my
1: life my marriage my spirituality what can help uh,
0: yeah i see the problem here yeah you got to back up the audio just a smidge because i want you to hear this and see if you can identify what the problem is here here we go um, he, he, you notice he's detached himself from his own problem listen
1: to me that is self-destructive that sabotages my life, my marriage, my spirituality, what can help me? And his conclusion is that there is an answer. Thank God, yes, Jesus Christ can do something for you
0: and for me. So he kind of mm-hmm, bifurcates himself, and uh, but there's something Jesus can do for you and for me. Isn't Paul's point that Jesus has done something for you and has done something for me?
1: But I think it starts with honesty. So, so, so to that end, I, I want to do my best to answer three very relevant questions today. And, and, and this is us being honest. I mean, this is brutal, honestly. First question is this. What is lust? What exactly? Fair question is it? I mean, what, what is the deal with this? And, and to answer this question, I want to read some verses from the Bible. And, and because, I,
0: Great idea.
1: because I need to lay a foundation and then I'm going to do my best to answer the question, what is lust? But these verses are Matthew chapter 22 verses 36 through 40. And, and it says 36 teacher. And this is someone addressing Jesus.
0: He's calling him teacher.
1: Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? What is number one?
0: Okay, now, he's going to the law, the law, okay, to answer the question, what is lust? That's exactly where you should go. See what he does with it. Come on, Jesus, what, what is it? Jesus
1: replied. Now, as Jesus replies, he pretty much gives us the cliff notes for the Bible because he narrows it all down to just two things. Jesus replied, number one, love the Lord your God with all of your heart.
0: Uh, no, by the way, he doesn't give us the cliff notes for the Bible. Jesus gives us the cliff notes for the Mosaic law. That was the question. What is the first and greatest commandment? Commandment, law. And with all of your soul
1: and with all of your mind, this is the first and the greatest commandment. You need to get this one. Now now that you've got that one, the second one connects to the first one. The second one is like it. It's linked to the first one. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and then Jesus says for all of the law and the prophets and any time in the New Testament that you see that it says law and the prophets, that means the entire Old Testament. So Jesus is summarizing the entire Old Testament with two commandments in about 30 seconds. And he says all of the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. You get these two right. You, you got the Old Testament. That's how he answers the guy's question. So, so here's what this means to us today. We are called to love God wholly. Holy.
0: Yes, we are. That is absolutely true, uh, Tommy. I couldn't. Be, I couldn't agree with you more. We are called to love God wholly. So, how you doing? Christ said, "Be ye perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect." Are you loving God wholly?
1: holistically, with all of our hearts, we are called to know him, to grow up in him spiritually, to have a relationship with him.
0: Okay, so listen, we're called to have a relationship with him, to know him wholly. So, you know, because isn't it in evangelical world, isn't that the gospel that God wants to have a relationship with you? Notice where he put this, in the law category. To begin to understand his
1: ways and his love. To realize that God came to planet Earth. Not because he's an angry old man on a cloud. Not because he wants to rain on our parade and spoil our fun. He came to this planet because he loves us. And he gave his life on a cross. And, and, and that, that incident...
0: Okay, listen. Now you heard something that sounds like the gospel. He gave his life on the cross... Do do you find anything like majorly important missing from that? He gave his life on the cross. That does I okay great what does that mean? Okay, so God gave his life on the cross. For what? What does that even mean? How does that apply to me? You see, he you got something that sounds kind of like the gospel there. But notice, he's not preaching the law in all of its rigors. He is preaching law, but it's condemning. And he's preaching the law as if it's the solution. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is what it means to have a relationship with him. But all that's doing is condemning you. Then we get this ever so quick kind of sort of vague, m- misty reference to the cross. And, the, and then there's the cross. Jesus died on the cross. so that So that, yeah, and... And it's never defined. So you don't, the gospel isn't preached in all of its sweetness at all. This is a complete muddying of law and gospel.
1: The most pivotal moment in history, that's everything. That is what sets us free. That is what.
0: Free from what? Connects us to God. That is what. How does it connect us to God? Why do we need a crucified and risen Savior to connect us to God? I don't understand.
1: Gives us a birth spiritually. Then we begin to grow in him and understand him and know him, and we can learn to love him. And when we do, this is so life-changing. And, and this...
0: so, then, you know, so did you notice how that went? Jesus dies. That's kind of the thing that gets you in. Then we can learn how to love him and fulfill that commandment that says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. The gospel gets thrown to the back of the bus, gets shoved out the back window, falls to the ground, and the bus moves forward. But everybody saw the gospel go through the bus, so you think that it's still at the back of the bus. But no, it's been thrown out the window, and the bus is moving forward without Jesus because you don't need the cross anymore.
1: This This is the balance. This is the sweet spot. This is the center of our lives. And when we find it, we will never be the same again. Love him with all of your heart. And, and, and look, 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 out of that relationship, here's what he's saying, out of that relationship where you are transformed from that relationship, go out there and love one another holistically. Stop bombing each other. Stop going to war. Stop it. Honor one another. Care for one another. Put that other person first. If you get slapped in the face, you turn the other cheek. If they vote differently than you, honor them and love them. Now, here's the problem with lust. The very definition of lust is we take a a whole complex human being.
0: Okay, now, uh, okay. This is sloppy preaching again. Here's the deal. He ties it back to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Perfectly valid. Okay? But now, if we're going to talk about lust, you have to talk about it on two levels, because the first table of the law points us to the sins that we commit in relationship to God. Okay, the first table is a is a vertical relationship you know between uh, you know God and you. okay? And the idea here is is that so if we're going to talk about lust in light of those two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, then what happens is is that lust lust breaks both those commands in this way. Number one is it, it it's a form of idolatry. It's a form of idolatry. and number two, um, it, it, it is not a way in which we're, to, we're called by God to love our neighbor, okay? I think he gets the second one, but I don't know if he gets the first. Let's see.
1: And, and we, we, we all are guilty of this. We, we take this person made in the image of God, someone's daughter, someone's son. And, and, and to us, in the heat of the moment, when, 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 when lust takes over, this, this, this is just a—it's not even a person— it is a body dedicated to the gratification of sexual desire. Now, now, this is a person designed for eternity. This is a person God loves. He only gives us two commands, love God, love one another. And, but, but, but we use them and their image for sex. And, and when the sexual high wears off, you know this is true. When the sexual high wears off, you, you don't even care about that other person. This is why the Bible has such an issue with lust. God's not trying to make you feel guilty or bad or anything else. It just Whoa, whoa,
0: whoa. God's not trying to make you feel guilty or bad. No, he actually, he is. Because remember, Jesus in John chapter 16 makes it clear that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and unbelief. Look at uh, uh, Peter's preaching at the day of Pentecost. People were cut to the quick. Brothers, what shall we do? No, God is condemning you. He is judging you, and the condemnation is sure. It's right and it's just and the and the verdict is clear. You are guilty. You are not sinless, you are not spotless, you are not good. You are sinful and wretched and you are a sexual you are sexually immoral.
1: goes against the very nature of who he is because lust fundamentally is a very self-seeking activity. It's extremely selfish. That's what lust is. Now, now there's another very relevant question I I think that we have to talk about, and that is, why is lust so destructive? And and listen, what you need to know is is this may be hard for you to hear. Well, it's twice as hard to say it because, listen...
0: (sighs) I feel like you 've just barely stuck your toe in the water, and you're saying this is hard to hear and hard to say you're not preaching the law in all of its rigor, sir, as a result of it, the gospel makes no sense at all i 'm not
1: perfect with this. none of us are perfect, but but we need to know how God thinks and what his plan is for us and and, and, and we can't sabotage his plan for us because we
0: decide lust is fun so We can't sabotage his plan for us because we think lust is fun. What are you talking about? See, you just read a passage that talked about our sinful nature, and it didn't even register. You're worried about not having God's plan for you because you think lust is fun? God's plan for you is to repent and be forgiven.
1: We've got we to really talk about these issues. Why is lust so destructive? My answer to that is this. Everybody suffers.
0: My answer to that. Why is lust so destructive? His answer. His Pastors are not called to preach their answers. They're called to preach the Word of God. Well, my answer for this is this, and his answer is that, and we can talk to that person over there and find out what they think the answer to the question is, and we, we can all just pool our ignorance together.
1: When it comes to lust... And, and you may be thinking, well, come on, it's legal or, or, or it's legal. Hey, hey, it's in the privacy of my own home. And whatever happens with two consenting adults and he said, and and it's fine. We can agree to disagree, but, but, but I have the microphone and here's my point.
0: We can agree to disagree and you have the microphone and here's your point. Sir, I thought you were a pastor. Your job is to preach the oracles of God. At the end of that, people don't get to agree to disagree with you because you're not giving your opinions. You're supposed to be preaching God's word, which is has the final say. So it's not, oh, well, I've got the microphone, and here's, you know, and I get... Eh. No, I've got an open Bible, and here's what God's word says, and there is no higher authority.
1: I think everybody... Suffers. Now, now let me explain. First of all, the the, the person caught up in lusting suffers. And you know this is true. Come on, just just admit it in your own heart. Lust is is, is something that can be a cancer to, to, to your mind and to your soul. It can drain you. How do I know this? Is it because God has given me such wonderful wisdom and insight? I wish... No, no, no. How do I know this? Because I'm like you. And, and lust has drained my mind and soul before. And, and here's something else. And this is true. Lust, and you know this is true. This has happened to you. Lust can make you make some of the stupidest choices. Are you kidding me?
0: Really? Serious? It's going to cause you to make stupid choices. No, this is just rank concupiscent. Sin. And it's down deep in your nature, that corrupted, sinful nature, and it burbles up from within sight of you. Even if the devil were bound and all of his demons bound, you would still have those thoughts. That's not the devil tempting you, that is your own sinful flesh seeking to be gratified on its own sinful terms.
1: Think about when you were a teenager. I mean, just think about it. Just think. Lost can make you make some stupid choices. And, 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 and so when it comes to the person th- that is doing the lusting, that person suffers. But, but secondarily, I think other people suffer. I think they do. I, I, I think about the spouse who, who questions their own attractiveness and value because the person they love chooses to share the most intimate part of themselves with the Internet. Think about the person who, who is cheated on. The person flirted with. The, the the person whose emotions are now crushed. Everybody suffers. There, were, there was a very interesting interview done with, with several people. And, and one of the people th- that, that was on this panel and was, was being interviewed is a guy by the name of Craig Gross. Now, now this is a very important name because he's the founder of triplexchurch.com, and that's an organization founded to help people get past the addiction of pornography. Now, uh, he has a website and you might want to write this down. It, it's, it's X3Watch.com and we'll put it on the screen. But but he provides free Accountability software, and that's pretty important. So you might want to write that down. x3watch.com. Anyway, in this interview, Craig Gross is being interviewed, but also, and here's what makes it very interesting: there's a porn producer that's being interviewed. And and this producer of porn, that that is how he makes his living, made a very interesting observation. Now remember, we're talking about everybody suffers. That's my point. Here's what he said: it's a quote. He said, you know, because he gets judged so much. He says, you know. If somebody is consuming a product and creating a demand, they're just as involved in pornography as me.
0: That's Ron Jeremy, and yes, that's absolutely true.
1: Everybody suffers. This is no longer just...
0: Everybody suffers. Oh, come on just a private issue and listen yeah your temporal suffering about your sin is like the least of your problems your big problem is you're going to stand before a holy and just god how'd you like to have to explain this to him
1: Listen, i'm not putting you on a guilt trip oh my gosh we're also vulnerable to this the destructive nature of lust listen th- th- that th- that potentially could trip any one of us in this room, including yours truly. Now, now here's, here's what I see when it comes to lust. And I'm no scientist and I'm no psychologist, but I see three levels of lust. And, and this is just the way I will articulate it to you.
0: I, again, I'm no psychologist. I'm sure there's a... Okay, the three levels of lust are not taught in the Bible. He's preaching his own ideas at this point. That's a huge problem.
1: A better way to put this, but, but I see three levels, and in level one w- would be if you're a person th- th- that you're not highly impacted by lust, and, and by that I mean it's not a pattern, it's not a preoccupation, it's, it's not an addiction, but you're still alive and you still have a pulse, and 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 so maybe you're watching TV, or you're watching a movie, or there's a coworker, and they make you feel young. <laughs> Are they flirting with you? Are you flirting with them, but you're not calling it flirtation? You're just being friendly, friendly, just being friendly. Or, or there's a neighbor, oh, the new neighbor, woohoo, sunbathing, okay, in January, all right, whatever. For, but for whatever reason, whatever reason, whatever reason, your motor starts running. You know what I mean? Now, now, the question on level one is this Will you get control of it? Or, or, or will it lead you to bad choices? Will it take you to a different place? That, that's level one.
0: So I'm supposed to, on my own, well, my own willpower and strength, solve my sin problem. Yet all the passages that I read from talk about how all of this is taken care of by the Spirit of God level 2 when it comes to lust
1: again this is how i define it and articulate it there i'm sure are better ways to articulate this but but this is a level th- that i would say would be associated with shame and guilt because there are periods of time to where you're very affected by lust and then seasons when you are not
0: okay now i want to ask you just a question okay Let's pretend for a second that you're the you're in the first category, that from time to time you're watching television and your motor gets running, but you're not really, you know, whatever. Do you think that's going to make one hill of beans difference when you stand before God? God's going to go, well, you know, I see you were a level one luster, but not a level two. Thank God. I mean, thank me that, you know, that you weren't a level, because, the, you know, the level three guys, you know, whoo. No, the level one guys, they deserve hell. The level two guys, they deserve hell. The level three guys, they deserve hell. And don't say, well, you know, I learned how to not make bad choices. And so I went from level one to level 0.5. Every infraction of God's law is a breaking of the entire law of God. Notice he's not preaching the law in all of his rigors. He is preaching law at this point. But I mean, this sounds just like justification and obfuscation at this point.
1: But during those seasons when you are very affected by lust, what you do is in one way or another, you act out on that. One way or another. And you feel horrible. You feel bad. This isn't you. You're, you're the Apostle Paul. You're Romans chapter 7. You, you, that's not what you want to do. And so you're sorry, and you want to do everything. You can't get away from it, and you say, God, forgive me, and you walk away from it, and you get away
0: from it, and you're sincere. Did you hear the gospel there? And you say, God, forgive me. <laughs> There's the gospel. There it went. But it may
1: be weeks or months or even years, but, but, but you come back to that same thing again and and it's it's this on and off again thing, and that's why it's associated with shame and and with guilt that's that's level two level three the, if, if if what i'm about to say describes you I, I think it's probably time for you to sit down and see a counselor honestly
0: okay fine that's probably true um for the level three guys um your job as a pastor though is to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins and you accidentally mentioned forgiveness is just kind of one of those off the cuff remarks and it wasn't even a point in your sermon
1: but level three this would be a stage where you are deeply consumed by lust and and you are consistently making bad choices and for you it's an addiction I mean, it really is a Jekyll and Hyde thing for you right now, and you don't feel like you can stop on your own. Really, the best way to describe this, it's like a drug to you right now. It, it's, it, you're just not even yourself. It, it, it's like a drug, and, and that's level three. And, and please know this. This can affect anybody. Potentially, this could hit any of us in the eyes, including good church people. Good church people struggle with this stuff. Now, back To that interview with that porn producer, he made a very interesting observation because he knows who he's selling to, and and he has a theory that Christians use about just as much porn as anyone. In fact, direct quote, here's what he says. If the church just stopped consuming pornography, it would put a huge dent into the industry. Rather than picketing or boycotting, just stop consuming it if you want to hurt us. That's what he said. And, and, and that's because we are all that vulnerable f- to this. And, and that, I think, is why lust is so destructive. Now, now here's the great relevant question.
0: Isn't lust ultimately so destructive because it sends people to hell for all eternity? You want to see just how destructive lust and sexual immorality is? Look what Jesus had to go through on the cross in order to atone for it and to propitiate God's wrath. Talk about destructive. It's so destructive we crucified God. How do I stop? <laughs> yeah, that's the question. Yeah, How do, What do I need to do to stop? Yeah. How about the forgiveness of sins?
1: Hey, Tommy, listen, I've had an affair. My spouse doesn't know about it. Or, or I, you know, I'm in that place where I think I might have an affair. I mean, that could happen. You know, if I said the word go, I mean, you know, it's going to happen. And and or, you know, I look at pornography a lot or I look at it way more than I used to. And I, at first I thought, no big deal. But now it's like a lot. And I'm or, or I'm being very promiscuous and I wish I wasn't, but I am or my thought
0: life is just. Listen, to, listen to this tone of voice. You know, he's he's talking about all of these sins, like trying to talk him down. You know, I'm I'm, I'm kind of promiscuous. I, I might be having an affair and, you know, and, and you know, I, I might have accidentally left my car keys at that work or, or you, know, you don't talk about sin this way you've got to be kidding me
1: crazy out of control i'm flirting here i'm flirting that how do i stop and and again i told you we're going to open a can of worms and, and yeah what about god hello Ah. Uh. And there won't be a hundred percent resolve, but I think if you stay with me for the next few weeks, we'll help you more and more and more as the weeks come. But, but, but let me give you at least three things. One thing is this, start by just admitting it
0: break. Yeah, there you go. Just Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. Just you, the first step to recovery is admitting that you have a problem. Take the
1: back of denial. Go to God and say, God, I have a problem. And, and, and this, this is a problem. This is sin.
0: This is part of my sin nature. This is why. There is the sin nature again. Thank you for mentioning it. What does that mean?
1: You went to a cross 2,000 years ago for this very issue. I need your help.
0: Okay, what does it mean that Jesus went to the cross 2,000 years ago for this issue? What does that even mean? Again, don't get excited because you didn't hear the gospel for real there. You just, you know, and you, you need to go to God and you need to admit you have a problem and you say something like, hey, God, I, you know, I know that Jesus went to the cross 2,000 years ago for this issue. What, what is understood by that statement?
1: Don't tell yourself anymore that, that, that you're going to just put your head in the sand and, and, and try to act like it doesn't exist. It exists admit it and begin to deal with it. And and then number two, find out. Find out about yourself. Why are you struggling so much with this issue? Now, yes, we're all born with a sexual desire, but sometimes it's so much more than that. Dr. Patrick Carnes, who has a PhD in working with
0: people... Is is Dr. Patrick Carnes one of the authors of the Bible? I don't recall the epistle of him
1: who are sex addicts. He said that that for most of the sex addicts that he works with, most of them believe these four things about themselves. Number one, they believe I'm a bad and unworthy person. Number two, no one would ever love me as I am. Number three, my needs are never going to be met. And number four, sex is the most important need in my life. Find out why you are where you are. Why is it? Is it
0: just lust? Why do you feel the need to flirt? Is it just lust? Is it in, according to the Word of God, is there anything that's just lust? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it say, you know, he was talking about divorce, you know, you shall not commit adultery. He says, but I say to you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. Do you think Jesus is saying, Oh, it's you know, you need to go and find out what what what's causing you to tick here? I mean, are you just is it just lust, you know, like, like that's no big deal?
1: What well, why why would you risk your entire family just to enjoy a few moments what, 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 what is 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 it in, an insecurity what, what is going on with
0: it it's the sinful nature hello you mentioned it but you don't explain it
1: you take take a very honest evaluation and and then the third thing and this is so important reach out I have never yet met a person that has overcome the power of lust alone. I, I've, I've never seen it. I haven't met that person. See, by its very nature, here's what lust does. Like we can sit here on, on, on a day like this and hear this and we can feel like we're the only ones dealing with it, not knowing that, that you know, hey, everybody deals with this because we do. Lust lures a person into a dark, secretive, isolated, lonely
0: existence. And the only way to overcome lust does that, or our sinful nature does that. And the power of lust
1: in your life is to take it out of the darkness and bring it into the light. And and just be honest about it. Now, now, now you have to reach out and talk to a trusted friend, a mentor. I'm not telling you to run out in the parking lot today and tell the first 10 people you meet what you're going through. I mean, this needs to be someone you really trust. Maybe a counselor or someone from your small group. We We have a class in North Point Church University called Life's Healing Choices and, and if you are really struggling on a deep level, I think that class can help you. You can sign up for it today and, and start Wednesday. You come to our Connect Me environment. Get connected to, to a Connect group. And next week, I'm going to talk about the danger of, of keeping your sin or your issues or your problems a secret. That's going to help you big time with, with, with this very issue today. But but please know this. Please know this. Please know this. You are not alone in your struggle with sexuality and lust. And and, and the main idea of this whole series is that we are going to admit the reality of the issues that we deal with in life and then be empowered to make more healthy choices.
0: We're going to admit it and then be empowered to make healthy choices. If you have your Bible, um, flip on over to the uh, epistle of John, first John. Unbelievable. Chapter one. 1 John chapter 1 verse 5 You know I'm going to begin at verse 1 That which was from the beginning which we've heard which we have seen with our eyes which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the father and was made manifest to us That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message that we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We say we have not sinned. We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Tommy Sparger is recommending people to be real and admit they have a problem so that they can then make healthy choices. The reason people sin is not because they don't know how to make healthy choices. The reason why they sin is because they have a corrupt, sinful nature. That by nature they're dead in trespasses and sins. So the biblical solution points us to Christ. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice the forgiveness of sins is missing here. Because in Tommy Sparger's theology that Jesus and the cross and the Gospel and the forgiveness of sins that that's all that's baby stuff I mean that's the thing that just got me in now i've gotta i gotta be a doer of the Word, not just to hear i gotta you know, and so Jesus you know shoved to the back of the bus, thrown out the window, and the bus drove away. Jesus and the cross are in the rear view mirror, but here. John, the Apostle, the Beloved One. Jesus isn't in the rearview mirror. He's front and center. He is the author and perfecter of his faith. He is the object of his faith. He's the thing. He's the person whom he is proclaiming to these Christians. And he says to Christians, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's through the cross and through this message that we learn to put to death the deeds of our sinful flesh. You, dear Christian, are in a fight to the death. With your flesh. And the solution to this problem is not just being real and admitting you having a problem so that you have a problem so that you can make better choices. It's confessing your sins and being cleansed from all unrighteousness through the forgiveness offered by Christ and his shed blood on the cross for those sins. Hang with us for the next few weeks at North Point. We are going to be
1: honest. We're going to get you through this. We are going to get this through. We're going to get through this together. There is hope. There is hope. There is hope. There is hope.
0: Have you heard anything that gives you any hope at all in this sermon?
1: I want to read you a scripture. And, and this scripture is Please. such a, a scripture, two different scriptures in Hebrews filled with hope. But, but because here's the thing, when we deal with lust when you deal with like sexual issues, you know, you can be so embarrassed. Like you don't want to admit that. I mean, how are you going to tell your wife? or I mean, how, how do you say that? You feel so weak. You, you, you feel so isolated. And, and then if you really feel good and guilty, you're not even going to feel like you can go to God. And, and I don't know if you've ever experienced that moment, but I have. And, and that's why I like these two verses in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. These verses will set you free. They're, it's good stuff. Hebrews four, fifteen and and 16 says, we do not have a high priest. Now, he's, he's writing to a Jewish audience, this author, and, and high priest priest, of course, was a part of their religion, but who he's referring to here is the ultimate high priest. He's referring uh, to Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. So, for we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet is without sin. Let us then approach the throne of judgment, Uh uh-uh, grace. With what? What? With being ashamed? No, 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 no. Everybody say it together. Come, come on, East Sunshine, Northern Campus with confidence. Confidence so that we may receive mercy. I can use some of that.
0: Finally, a little bit of gospel. Yes, so we can, we, we can receive mercy. You need to explain that, Pastor, because that's actually the solution to the problem. And
1: find grace to help us in our time of need. See, see it's, such, it's such a vicious trap. So we, we feel, oh, I'm too sinful. I can't go to God. I'm so ashamed. And, and when you stay away from God, that is the one thing you need. So you enter into his presence with confidence, knowing that he loves you and let him take care of you. Let's pray together.
0: So there you have it. I mean, very last afterthought before they go into prayer, something about a high priest and grace and mercy without any real explanation as to what that even means. You see what I mean by a confusion of law and gospel? the, The law wasn't preached in all of its rigor, and the gospel as a result of it was not preached in all of its sweetness. And yet, with a sin as serious and grievous as sexual immorality, lust and pornography and adultery, as serious as those sins are, they need to be dealt with straight up in a non-diluted format so that those who have committed those sins can hear the gospel, and the only way they're going to hear the gospel correctly regarding those sins is when they hear God's law preached in all of its rigors against their unrighteous wickedness that is burbled up from within their own heart. And the good news is, is that there is mercy. The good news is, is that there is forgiveness, even for you. Even for you, the one who has committed these horrible and egregious sexual sins. Christ died for them, every one of them. All the things that you are ashamed of and you don't even dare speak to your closest friend, but you keep all of these sins locked tight inside of your heart. Christ died for them, and he died to set you free from them as well. And the solution is not just learn to make better choices. The solution is confess your sin, repent of your wickedness, be forgiven and cleansed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Through his forgiveness, through his shed blood, through the powerful working of the Holy Spirit, through God's law and through the sacraments, God will mortify your flesh and put it to death. You will wrestle with it the rest of your life, but it will not have the last say. And God will give you fruit and bear fruit in your life in keeping with that repentance, even for that deep, dark sin. For Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, even those sins for which you are most terribly ashamed. We say we have no sin. We deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Repent and be forgiven by the shed blood of Christ. I need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what would you think? I'd love to get your feedback. My email address, if you'd like to contact me and give it to me, is... Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook It's facebook.com forward slash piratechristian Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you In the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ In his vicarious death on the cross For all of your sins Amen